This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Good morning, Melbourne. You're not going to believe this, but you're listening to Radio Therapy. It's Dr. Shane here from Einstein and Gogo, and we have locked the majority of the doctors out of the studio today. That's right. I'm just simply not going to open the door for them. They've been a bit rude, but I have allowed one in, one of my favourites, Dr. Mellis. Good morning, Dr. Mellis, and welcome to your own show. Can I sigh a, a relief, Dr. Shea? Thank you so much for being here. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely my pleasure. Now, you long-term listeners will realise that Bron from Radio Marinara who's just finished a marvellous hour, I have to say, and myself have been trying to take over the hour of radiotherapy and split it between the two of us for some time. And it has finally happened. We had a bit of contact yesterday. We decided we would not open the door for the team when they come in. Somehow Mellis managed to sneak through. Um, but essentially, we've grabbed their hour. So we're going to be broadcasting for them. But it's still a medical show, like normal, isn't it, Mellis? Now, absolutely. And could we just clarify that I had nothing to do with this coup for like <laughs> the doors because they are still deep friends of mine oh, they are. and, uh, they and this are. should be not seen as anything like the Labour Party. There is no. no backstabbing, there's no politics going on, it's just one of those things that you guys decided to sabotage our program. Yeah. And we've still got everything, it's everything medical, so Melissa's is going to be talking about crying, we're going to follow up on the chronic, chronic pain, pain stuff you did yes. a few weeks back. I think that... Uh, <laughs> Ken's just sent me a little note there saying uh, a hashtag radiotherapy spill has been created by him. <laughs> uh, fantastic, Kent. Keep pushing those buttons. You're doing a better job than I do during Einstein, that's for sure. And I know that Bron's out there right now. She's Actually, she's in. She's been working on a story on the bins. And she's come. we've taken over, Bron. Hey, Shane. <laughs> Good to hey, have Dr. you Hey, Dr. Mellis. How are you doing? I'm so pleased to be back. It's lovely to see you. Yeah. <laughs> Did you go to the bathroom between shows? No, I need to as well, but oh, it's okay. I'll do that when we put a track on. So um, what I thought we might do whenever, mm. whenever... This is what we do at Triple R. That's what we do. We are all part of the same family. Oh, How great is this? This is almost incestuous. <laughs> As, as I came out, I was, um, I was saying, look, this is a... I actually have nightmares where, where I wake up in a, in a sweat at three o'clock in the morning where I'm the only person who's turned up and none of my team show up. Well, th that's mm. one thing when it's a nightmare. This is a daymare. It's <laughs> actually happening. <laughs> you, you're in the perfect position to comment on when, when your dreams become a reality as well. Well, this is... This is what, technically, mm. this is called a reality test of the worst catastrophe. Right. I mean, not the worst because no one's hopefully injured, but, you know, a bunch of guys yeah. outside with the locked doors and a spill taking over in the in the in the studio. I mean, this is really <laughs> mega news. Oh, it's great. I mean, I mean, for for me and Bron, we're very excited. And um, I think so. What we might do, we might start up. Bron's got some stuff on the bends that she wants to talk about. Yes. And then we're gonna then we're gonna move in and we're gonna talk about crying because you could be crying about halfway through the show when well I'm gonna bugger <laughs> off because I've got to go and prepare Einstein and go go. And I think Bron, she's she's looking hungry and she needs to go to the bathroom. So you could be on your own, Mel. <laughs> no, you're not gonna. You're not going to be on your own. It's so, so cool because I've actually done a diving course. I'm a certified paddy diver. Oh, brilliant. And we were told how to have buddy breathing. Now, the first principle of yes. buddy breathing, you need someone else there. <laughs> yes. 
Because <laughs> the fish don't need your... Um, they don't need what's in your tank. I've got three stories that we've just suddenly come up with in the green room. One is to talk a little bit about diving-related injuries. And this is oh. something that I've been wanting to do for the last sort of 15 years with Radio Marinara is to explore with radiotherapy some of those diving-related uh, hazards and things that can happen when you go diving. So um, having had 25 seconds to prepare for this, I haven't gone into a lot of detail, but we'll get, we'll get John back in studio um, to talk a little bit about that. But Albert Lee, who was just our guest with um, with Scuba for Change, is a dive master. So he's going to come in and talk a little bit about that as well. Um, oh, I love this. This is so fun. Um, then uh, um, Greg Foot Conley. You, you can go now, Mel. So we'll take, we'll who, take it over. Yeah. You're gone. You, you, guys, you, you guys aren't kidding when you take over. You oh, we really do. do take no, over. No, we do. We do. It's what we do. Uh, Greg Foot Conley, who was our guest in with Scuba for Change, he had about three words on our program, but he can have a lot more on yours. He's just um, come back. Uh, he's been providing first aid courses for uh, for children in the Philippines. So I thought you might be interested with this as well. Uh, and then finally, and, and into a more serious note, and I think you're actually going to be um, genuinely professionally interested in this one, Dr. Malis, is, uh, is Lars Jorgensen, who was in here for Stairway Foundation. Uh, is in, he can actually come in and have a talk um, very seriously, so levity aside, about uh, the work that he does with, um, with children in the Philippines who have uh, been exploited uh, for um, children, child prostitution. And, and the mental health impacts that it has uh, on children and well, teens that would in the be Philippines. So topical, especially with the Royal Children's Hospital mm. doctors and medical staff and the whole hospital staff going out in protest in terms of whether or not they're going to discharge patients who are going back to asylum settings and refusing to do so on the basis of their health would be so compromised that it would be unethical decision for them to release such patients. Now, now yes. Alice, this is something I found interesting during the week. I mean, seeing this, um, I, I can imagine if the Royal Children's Hospital staff were to come across a, a, one of their patients, a, ch- a minor, who they perceived to be in danger if they were returned to their home environment, you know, just normal home environment, parents in the waiting room type stuff, they would not do that. They would call the police, they would stop that occurring. What Are they on a similar legal ground with regards to asylum sex? Well, I mean, what from, can they do? From what I understand, they're in fact on extremely shaky legal ground right. because if anyone speaks out about uh, asylum issues, they apparently under the current law, and I have not read the Act, but they are liable to prosecution as, as I understand it. So this is put it into a framework that is totally outside of the conventional frame of medical management where we are obliged through notification of a child at risk to notify the appropriate authorities. Mm. That is the law to notify them. Here, the stand that the Royal Children's Hospital staff have taken are totally outside of the frame of ordinary medicine and goes a step beyond, indeed, and I, I qualify it not having read the legislation, but they are exposing themselves, I think, to possible action for breaching the current act. Mm. It's, so it's, it's an extraordinary mm. event. I think we should really track how the response of the government and indeed the whole AMA, Medical Association, mm. their ethics stands and so on, will follow up on this event. Mm. It's, it's a major stand. This might show a lack of understanding on my part in terms of uh, what the Hippocratic Oath is. Is this a test of the Hippocratic Oath? Well, we go back to something like two and a half thousand years or so, 
and one of the tenets of medicine is the Hippocratic Oath, which is a long document, but the essence is re- often reduced to the few words of first to do no harm. Now, that is interpreted over the centuries in various ways, and clearly in each paradigm of medicine, we have standards of care that are agreed on consensually, both in community standards and the science of medicine. So, for example, at the start of last century, uh, malaria treatment, uh, uh, various temperature changes were accepted as treatment for syphilis. Now, that was really crude, and someone actually won a Nobel Prize for that. However, once bacteria and the understanding of antibiotics was discovered, the new form of treatment was obviously penicillin. Now, the standard of care therefore changes according to the culture of science. Mm. In the last 15, 20 years, neuroscience of the developing brain has given unequivocal evidence that the earliest experiences last in the brain architecture for life. Mm. However, with neuroplasticity, it can be reversed. The principle here is that if children are in a neglected, abused or deprivation states, then the architecture of the brain, even in utero, that is the developing brain, hence we've got the whole health issues of pregnancy uh, maintenance, su- supervision, so on. But certainly uh, by birth and after birth, any insult to the developing brain has got far, far-reaching consequences. Mm. Now, the relevance of all that is that that is now science. Mm. In fact, that's part of the preparation I've got for the topic on crying and chronic pain because now we have a very good understanding of the neurobiology, anatomy and so on. Now, the principle here is we, the, the paradigm, it's a game changer that we're practicing child health in because we've got a lot of science due to scans of the brain. So we've got evidence which we could only intuit before. Mm. Now, in this context, clearly the medical decision making has to catch up with the known science. And if it is known that a child returning to a relationship that is at risk or dangerous where it's not just at risk but known dangers then the qualification of first to do no harm has to come back on the heads of the medical decision makers what do you then do to make sure you do no harm the qu- the question there though dr Mels, is who makes that determination with regards to them returning to a location of harm i mean this must come up uh, i mean I, I have to say I, I applaud the stance that um the staff of the the rch have taken i think it's quite extraordinary but this must come up for staff there all the time i mean yes. they, they must have scenarios where they're pretty sure children are going back to abusive terrible environments but it is not their role yes. to make that determination so so in a sense they're compromised on many occasions in exactly the way you say where they're they're sending children back to an environment that's potentially damaging and almost surely damaging psychologically but how can they make that determination is that outside of the bounds of their job well in the standard cultural issue the laws actually govern medical practice that where a child is at risk, the onus is on the medical department to notify health authorities Authorities. to Mm. intervene. And the first step is that they make an assessment of the alleged risk. Mm. And that is, if, if appropriate, they will make a home visit to make sure that there's physical space, safety and so on. They will interview the caregivers. 
to make sure that they are aware of what the child needs and obviously look up on what happened before if there's past history Mm. from nurseries or kindergarten or school where such a child might have attended with known bruises or neglect or disabilities like that. So this is really a, a, a test case, I would say, uh, or has the potential to be a test case with the Royal Children's Hospital stand last week, yes. Now, we should take a quick music break, as I, I know you guys do, and uh, Kent, I, I suspect we've probably uh, got to pay some mortgages, as the great uh, <laughs> Matt Stedman would say as well. Um, so, folks, we'll be back in just a moment. It's a very and unusual episode of Radiotherapy. Yes. If Bron you, and I have taken over. If you've just tuned in, yes, we have. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Shane, it's, Bron. It's, it's been, and Dr. Malice, and we have been uh, planning this um, this takeover for oh, some for I'm, I'm rubbing my kind of fingers together a caveat dr malice was not part of this plot for this <laughs> bit he's he now still, though, folks. he's still loyal to the triple r radiotherapy team but welcome with open yeah, arms yeah, 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 and yeah. sighing relief yeah. thank we'll, you so we'll, much we'll just call you france yeah. <laughs> but let me let me just do uh, my evil maniacal laugh and mr burns excellent just to indicate the success that bron and i've had which <laughs> and Excellent. <laughs> and uh, and for those radiotherapy team who who are wondering um, what the hell's going what's on, what's going on? <laughs> uh, I think some of you are expected in here, so you know you've got forty five minutes left of your program. Yeah. If this is okay with you, Doctor Malice, if we have Lars Jorgensen in from Stairway Foundation, and he can pick up exactly on what you've just been speaking about, Bronnie, I'm in your diving suit and your oxygen tank, so <laughs> I'll go with you as a buddy system. <laughs> You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3RRR in Melbourne, Australia. Now, Bron, you've dragged one of your guests back into the studio. I have indeed. Uh, Lars Jorgensen is uh, founder of Stairway for Change. And if you uh, missed Radio Marinara from 9 till 10, uh, Lars was in also with Albert Lee for uh, Scuba for Change, Stairway Foundation. Stairway Foundation. And uh, I haven't got headphones on. I'm completely thrown because this is something I'm so dependent on now. Welcome back, Lars. Thank you. And uh, maybe for our our listeners uh, and radiotherapy listeners, I should say, (laughs) better know my place here, radiotherapy listeners who who missed our show, talk us through Stairway Foundation and, and what it is that you and your partner, Monica, set up some time ago. Right. Well, we are, we are a child protection organization. We are doing uh, direct care. We are working with what we call a family home. And I think in this context, that's what is relevant here. We have a lot of kids who have suffered uh, various forms uh, of abuse, uh, sexual abuse, exploitation uh, being the main issue that we're dealing with. Uh, ma- mainly because not enough others, we believe, are doing that. So we went into that uh, particular field. Um, and then we're doing, uh, actually, our, our biggest and strongest program is our advocacy and capacity building program, which, uh, in which we're trying to, uh, well, break the silence around uh, child sexual abuse and exploitation. And we're trying to uh, create networks uh, in the Philippines and beyond uh, in terms of having a, a sound response to kids who have suffered abuse, but most of all, actually, to create a large group of organizations uh, that will help 
to break the silence around the issue. So we're working a lot with non-governmental organizations. We have developed a network of 53 non-profit, non-government organizations in the Philippines. Uh, springing from that, we, we uh, got uh, you know, the necessary recognition to actually get our foot inside with the government. So for the past years, we have been working closely with the Department of Social, Welf- Social Welfare and, uh, and Development, And uh, with the Department of Education, we are working specifically on the online safety. Uh, So we are actually helping uh, the Department of Education to set up uh, like a cyber safe program that they can, well, they can from from online, they can uh, distribute it to all the teachers in the country and they'll have a chance to uh, learn how to kind of prepare the kids uh, in, in, in how to use the, the, the big wide web. It's, uh, the internet is wonderful, but it's also full of uh, traps and uh, dangers for, for kids. And uh, we know that for, for, for pedophiles around the world, uh, the web has meant that if you were sitting with the, you know, uh, the, the, the sick uh, twist of your brain and your, your, your whole sentiments that that uh, you can you can find uh, sexual gratification with a child uh, you before would most often feel quite isolated but now due to the internet you can actually find a lot of uh, like-minded people around you and that's not um, it's not very good for us uh, in, in interested in protecting our kids from that particular kind of abuse um, so it's it's important that we can we can do a, as much as possible to to prevent that. I think that's an extraordinary linkage of some of the principles that we might st- take on board, uh, especially in as you know in Australia the Royal Commission into Institutionalised Sexual Abuse is currently underway. Now I'd like to just move away from the focus on direct sexual abuse on the wider issue of child abuse, neglect, uh, privations, deprivations, and put it into the context of the Royal Children's Hospital staff protest that occurred during this last week, an unprecedented medical event and medical social event. And what I'd like to ask is if you could expand on some of the ways that you, uh, in fact, forward and expand your capacity to directly intervene how many of those principles we might be able to use in the setting here in australia with the children in asylum so-called care because that was the issue with the royal children's hospital the staff said it is not safe for these children to go back to those at-risk settings having said that they exposed themselves to the irate reaction of the government breaching certain guidelines and yet the medical ethics would dictate that first we do no harm so we're in that space right. and love to learn from you what right. principles we might use yeah well first of all i mean respect for the people who uh, will recognize that sometimes we have to take extraordinary measures into use in order to to come through with something that is that important um, and uh, well, I, I'll say that one of the one of the major activities that we are running in our programs is actually to uh, promote um, that all organisations should have very clear child protection policies, 
And um, so we are we are helping organizations, uh, including the government organizations, actually, to develop child protection policies um, that um, will make sure that the children that under their care will be in a safe environment. And I, I, you know, I don't know about the situation here in Australia, how how far uh, you are with with that. But I, I find that it's very, very uh, important that any group, any organization, and especially if it's an organization that is designed to work with uh, particular disadvantaged children, that they have very, very clear policies. And, 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 and of course, I mean, also being monitored uh, accordingly. So given that, from my understanding, the Royal Children's Hospital has entered into uncharted territory... And as you said, that sometimes the onus is on responsible organisations and their heads to take extraordinary measures. So in your, from your experience, would you recommend that the legal team at the Royal Children's Hospital start preparing uh, possible reactions to the government legal framework to protect the rights of these children and the workers who've advocated and advocacy you've emphasised, right. advocated for their rights to health? Well, first of all, I would hope that uh, that the government will the, the government would recognise that all legislation should be based from a point of reality, and reality changes. Uh, and uh, uh, if there are frontliners working with uh, the protection and the well-being of kids, and if they have these observations and they are having these this understanding that procedures as they were done yesterday uh, are not living up to the standards of today then by all means i think that uh, hopefully it should not be a confrontation that will happen hopefully it should be a recognition of uh, time to change some of the standards or some of the uh, maybe external factors that are framing uh, the system that you currently are having here now as you mentioned in the philippines uh, you actually took great care and eventually got enough recognition to get your foot in the door with the government. Right. As a non-government organisation, I imagine that would have been a huge challenge to get that sort of recognition. It took a while. <laughs> Could you talk us through a little bit what steps you took to get your foot in the front door with government? Well, I, I guess uh, it's um, it's credit to, uh, of course, credit to quality of the work, and it's credit to to having the right connections at the right time. Um, one of our biggest partners now is actually the Philippine National Police, and uh, we, from working directly with kids, we we experienced that we did not get very many positive reports on the interaction that that our kids had had with the. The, the law enforcement and that triggered our interest to actually try to get inside and and try to work with with the institution um sometimes you can be tempted you know to be very confrontational and say hey this is not this is not right right and we don't want to be part of it but especially where we are uh, you can easily be shut off if you if you take that approach so our strategy was from the very beginning that we want to be we want to be on the inside we want to see if we can affect change from being working with them rather than working against them and in a practical sense i could just imagine uh, an old system with the police having the reputation whether earned or not of not dealing appropriately 
what was the vision? What imaginative leap did you actually do to sidestep the confrontation and open the door to partnership? This seems extraordinary. Well, I think uh, actually it was the response from the Philippine National Police is probably the most extraordinary in this uh, in this little story, right? That because I, I was I was actually quite amazed when we, you know, we started up working with one. A police training institute. There are 17 regions in the country and there are 17 training institutes and they are like every year we are like training about around 10,000 uh, police uh, cadets, officers. So it, it's quite massive. But we started out with one little institute and it went to the next and the next and then you know finally we managed to get the, the, the chief, the head general of, of all the training schools uh, to come out and, and to actually come and witness uh, exactly what we are presenting here in Melbourne uh, Monday, Tuesday and Friday. I get a chance to really promote here as well, right? So uh, he, he witnessed, he saw one of the animations that we've made uh, and he saw the, the theatre play Crack Mirrors and he stood up afterwards and, and he said that, well, you know, I've been in, in, in this field for the past 25 years and I've been dealing with uh, lots of cases of abuse, but it's only now that I realise what this is all about, right? So and you almost offered him a moment of revelation. Well, we could put it that way, yeah. And I mean, and what, what was so amazing was that you know the the, the Philippine National Police Force well, is a rather macho institution, right? But this man, he stands up in front of fifty of his colleagues, you know, colonels, sergeants, captains, whatever, right? And and uh, he says that it's only now that I that I realise, right? And I thought that was an amazing. Uh, step of, of uh, you know humanity coming out from that from that position well humanity person, yeah. and i would imagine from that organization humility it's, from that leader yes and and that that's what was so beautiful about the whole oh, thing right that is yeah. such an inspirational story of the power of one mm-hmm. and that you actually brought that around and hopefully there's someone in the listening world of this unusual um <laughs> Hybrid, hybrid triple R radiotherapy yes. program is listening and maybe could advocate to the Royal Children's Hospital that we've got an international expert on radio triple R therapy <laughs> <laughs> and to invite him for a coffee and a consultation on how to import this expertise uh, and draw some wisdom because this is the most extraordinary situation of the general of an organisation of 10,000 cadets every year, so the, the whole force must be gigantic, it is. actually changing the culture from top down. Hmm. So I, I don't know how to applaud and acknowledge this enormous achievement. So thank you. It's one of those situations, I think, Dr Malice, of just serendipity and this was meant to be. Wow. Don't you think? Well, I mean, when uh, it, uh, the, this is where you go, hum. <laughs> there are higher powers at work here. Or, or you play right. some music. Yeah, we better uh, really, thank the, our guest. Yes, the unprecedentedness of the Royal Children's Hospital event, mm. the unprecedentedness of, of our team being locked out, and yep. there'll be repercussions for that for sure. Oh, no doubt. And the unprecedentedness of an international expert in this very area. Uh, obliging to come on after Marinara to our uh, hybrid show. Fantastic, and I thank you very much indeed. Well, thank you for inviting me back. Amazing. And, and Lars, just before we let you go, because we, we kind of had to wrap this up quickly because we were expecting you and your team of doctors to come in, Dr Malice, okay. yes. about Cracked Mirrors as well, because we covered it very briefly, and I think it's a, a good opportunity to kind of allow... We've got 
if that's okay with you, Dr. Malice, some expansion of what Cracked Mirrors is all about. Um, so this is, uh, I'll let you do the talking, Lars. This mm. is a, a play that your um, partner and wife and partner, yeah. business partner as well, has uh, has authored. But um, I think you'll be particularly interested in this one too, Dr. Malice, and what this is about. Yeah. Well, uh, it's, uh, it's a play that uh, Monica wrote it uh, years back and uh, we started performing it about maybe 11, 12 years ago and we thought we were going to run it for a year or two. Uh, but we have never really been allowed to take take it down because there have been uh, such an interest in it, which is very positive, right? Uh, the interest is positive. What, what is uh, a bit sad about it is that the play has caused... Uh, it's not sad. It's sad that, uh, that so many people turn out to have experienced abuse, but the play actually invites for disclosures. It's performed by three young people. They used to be on the streets of Manila before. Uh, now they are our colleagues that work in the organization and uh, they are the actors in the play. They all are survivors of uh, sexual abuse when they were kids. Mm. And after the play, they come and they sit there at, 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 the, at the edge of the stage and they all share with the audience how they actually relate to the, the roles they have just been portraying uh, on the stage, right? So... If there would be a few people in the audience that would be hoping that this is all fictional, what we're seeing here, you know, that illusion will will crumble after that. And, uh, you know, it, the message has been, has been sent that it is a reality and it's a reality around the world and it is something that we only can combat, we can only uh, work to, to help if we, we are much more open mm. about uh, the issue of child sexual abuse. Indeed. Mm. Also, just the, the title of Cracked Mirrors has such ev- evocative resonances, and especially if we're going to follow up with crying about the mirror neurons. And when that is cracked, that is when there's a breakdown of major relationship issues. So it, it just on so many levels works so powerfully. It certainly does. Yeah. So you're listening to uh, Merotherapy Einstein. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, uh, normally known as Radiotherapy on 3RRR. Stick with us. We're, uh, we're having fun. You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3RRR in Melbourne, Australia. It is. <laughs> this is not my program. This is your program, Dr. Oh, Ellis. Welcome back, everybody. And if you're wondering what's happening, there's an unprecedented uh, mixture of Einstein a go-go or scientists a go-go and marinara and radiotherapy. Which I think the, we're loosely calling marinotherapy a go-go. Oh, what a name. <laughs> it's got to be a winner. And the reasons, if you haven't been listening very briefly, is that part of the Radio Triple R therapy team has been locked out. And I have got in through the keyhole. Don't ask how. It's keyhole surgery, psychic surgery. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm here with uh, Bronnie from Marinara and Dr. Shane, uh, who have very kindly assisted in the co-hosting. And, of course, Kent, ever, ever, ever cool. I mean, he's really, it's just chilled out. Whereas uh, some of us have gone off to the bathroom a number of times for various reasons, and we're back here for the final phase. We are. And... Um, we thought we would bring back into studio with your with your permission 
Dr. Malice. Um, because Absolutely. We, we were hoping to give this a bit of time. We didn't quite get there. So uh, Greg Foot Connolly, who is a founder of Scuba for Change, if you missed Marinara, the, the direct connection with all of these stories, Scuba for Change, founded by Albert Lee and yourself, Greg, as well. Uh, no, sorry, I'm just a board member. You're I'm not going to take member. the total credit for being founder <laughs> of a beautiful organisation like this. And Scuba for Change directly connected to Stairway Foundation, and we've just been uh, hearing from founder Lars Jorgensen. Um, but bringing an ecological and environmental and a coastal marine education arm to, to the work that's done by Stairway and sort of extending uh, the great work done there. So being opportunistic, we thought at this point, the, the work to talk a little bit about the work that you've just done recently... So in addition to being a board member for Scuba for Change, you have a, a surf life-saving background. That's correct, yes. And so tell us about what you've just done with um, heading off to the Philippines and, yeah. and, and the work that you've done. So this is change for, part of Change for Children program. Correct, yes. Um, part of the program they had earlier this year was to uh, look at going over there to give the kids, the children from the stairway, some skills and some knowledge base. Um, some of the research I did into, certainly in the Philippines, is there a lot of lack of knowledge in swimming and uh, there's been a high frequency of drownings. So um, we went over there. Actually, my daughter and myself went over there, uh, who's also a qualified uh, lifesaver, and we taught them some first aid skills that were very basic to their area um, and also we taught them a bit of life-saving skills. So in the event of something happening in the water, which is directly opposite the Stairway Foundation, they were able to actually be able to put some of the things that we taught them into practice. So how did you feel that the, the level of um, sort of first aid awareness or even sort of uh, what was it like before you got there? Band-Aid. Mm-hmm. It was a Band-Aid. If we could put a Band-Aid on everything, it fixed everything. Right. So basically we sort of taught them through a little bit more. Uh, it was. It was quite low. But um, as I said, the kids who are, are fantastic children, uh, it was a very fulfilling experience. But we were able to show them running them through CPR, putting people in coma positions or recovery positions, taking them through uh, a defib machine. So part of the work that we did was to raise some funds before we went over there to get some life-saving equipment. So we had a rescue board, some rescue tubes. Uh, we also had a, a defibrillator that we presented to the dive shop, which was part of the whole integration between mm. Scuba for Change and Stairway. So these children, I think, must be some of the only kids that are probably in that area that would know how to use a defib machine. Yeah, wow. <laughs> I mean, this is really extraordinary circumstance today because having got my own uh, paddy licence for diving, I realised the importance of breath. And you really don't have too many seconds before that preciousness called oxygen, whether you're on land or underwater or ascending or descending. And so to go down to the most elemental first aid, that is how to restore breath. Mm. I think this is just extraordinary. Mm -hmm. And the cultural context we're seeing it in as we spoke with Lars is that really these children are on their sort of ventilator breath if you use the metaphor at the royal children's and the staff there are saying no we can't let them go until their breathing is assured mm. now the principles i think you're saying that uh, band-aids don't cover everything they they don't it's just mm. a fact of life no matter how much we'd like to just have band-aids so how did you actually take that first step and connect three ways as a, a social activist movement, a specialist diving master, and yourselves as surfers and lifesavers. How do you get three minds like that together? 
Look, that I can certainly speak from my experiences. Albert um, did a presentation at a launch, well, probably about 18 months ago now, and it just touched a nerve to say, I'm sure there's something that we can do, and a lot of people out there, and your listeners as well, there's skill sets. People have got unique skill sets that they can offer to organisations like Scuba for Change and Stairway. And, <clears throat> pardon me, I was sitting there, we're attended with my daughter, and we just looked at each other and said, we've got to do this. But it was really interesting. You're talking about teaching the children. They were sponges. They wanted to learn as much as they could from the things that we were telling them. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it was and And from amazing. the account that we heard from Lars, in fact, the highest organisation also became a sponge. So there's something going from infancy and childhood to the most, let's say, conservative of professions, the... the legal prof- and, and, and policing and uh, peace processes, and they come together on this breath, and you say it all started that he touched a nerve. What an extraordinary moment. Mm. Is that, I mean, that actually it, sends a shiver down my back, hearing you just say, it touched a nerve. I looked at my daughter and I said, we've got to do this. That's how it happens. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Totally. And I think so many times in life, Malice, we just hear that can't be done and we can't do yeah. this and here are the reasons why and it's blockage after blockage after blockage. It's like a big kind of Tetris game of blockages yes. that all kind of, you know, feed into each other. It just reminds me of this uh, example. There's a movie that's just come out, The Walk, and it concerns the Frenchman Petit who in 1974 uh, and some years before had this dream that he was going to walk put a high wire between the two, now they're gone, but the twin towers as they were being built. And everyone thought he was crazy. And he said, yes, of course I'm crazy. I mean, that's a given. But he did it. And I just have a feeling that you've got three towers here and you've strung a wire between you and you've got some sort of extraordinary moment in the history of the Philippines. And today here on Sunday, radiotherapy in its own extraordinary hybrid moment, <laughs> is benefiting from your courage and 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 wisdom and I don't, I've lost and for con- words and conviction, absolutely, mm-hmm. and the, and the know-how because you've, you you're walking the walk, not on the wire, but you're walking the walk. Amazing. Thank wow. you. <laughs> Absolute pleasure. <laughs> wow. Do you want to give any kind of you here with this opportunity now? Uh, are you planning on going back and doing some more? Talking with Albert, we're actually now trying to look at how we can broaden that to um, further. And I know some of the many discussions we'll have with Lars over the next week while he's here in Melbourne will be based around how can we take what we did last year, mm. make it better, make it a little bit more tailored or or take it even to another advanced level. Um, you know, now, obviously, some of the children, they transition in and out of stairway. So just got to be careful how we target it. But, mm. yeah, certainly. Um, uh, look, I heard Lars say before, Porta Galera is a beautiful place. So why wouldn't I want to go back? <laughs> <laughs> beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. We've been uh, speaking with Greg Foot Connolly from uh, uh, Scuba for Change. And thank you, Albert Lee. He's behind me at the moment. We've put all those um, details on our Facebook page and uh, also we'll do likewise on the Triple R Radio Marinara page. Dr. Malice, we're, uh, we're in the midst of um, radiotherapy, which sort of has a, a working title of Mariner Therapy, a go-go. 
Uh, shall we put some music on? Please. And then come back and talk about your prepared segment on crying. crying I think there's yes. probably a few people out there who are uh, probably feeling like that's something that they might want to be doing right now. It, it wouldn't be, and this would be, I think, yeah. tears of joy. Yes. That there's such inspiration, uh, which is the only word I can come up with other than tears itself. Three. Triple. And welcome back to Studio 2, Shane, Dr. Shane from Einstein and GoGo. Yeah, I had to just quickly run over and prepare the next hour. <laughs> <laughs> Only took three minutes. Listeners, this team is just so multitasking geniuses. They are running three shows at once yeah. and having coffee in between with croissants. I mean, it just <laughs> makes your mouth water. The word you're looking for is semi-professional. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Or we've, maybe bronze professional. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've given you kind of um, four minutes and about 30 seconds to, to cover probably work. what was a 15-minute segment, That's, Dr Mellis. I've been just absolutely elated with the uh, exchange, the relationship, which segues beautifully because my uh, whole topic was really about social engagement systems. Now, I know that the headline was crying, but in fact, if we think about it, crying is at the basis of the social engagement system from our first breath. In fact, that is the first sound we make. We don't talk when we're born. We get a little slap on the bottom or the back and we're crying is the signal mm. that our system that provides the breath of life is working mm. and indeed that remains our calling system for the rest of our lives unfortunately many of us as we grow up forget how to cry we which do. is unfortunate and so like picasso famously said i trained all my adult life to learn to paint like a child so many of us like for the rest of our lives learn to reconnect to our crying reflex because that, at the, at the essence, is part of our social engagement system, SES. Now, the other abbreviation which we know from diving and, and maritime time is SOS, mm. which actually stood for Save Our Souls. And, in fact, there's a very interesting connection between breath, crying and soul, but we'll leave that for another topic. Uh, so here the question is, how does crying actually work? And we come to a neuroscientist called Stephen Porges who forwarded a theory called the polyvagal theory. Now, the vagus nerve, we all know, is an extraordinary nerve that goes from the brainstem all the way down the spinal cord and just about does anything and everything through two divisions, the sympathetic, parasympathetic. And what the, pro the issue here is that it actually controls and regulates the crying system. And when I say crying system, I really mean a system that goes from little nerve centres in the brain to the larynx, pharynx, soft palate, and, of course, the lungs mm. and the diaphragm. There's no crying without the diaphragm. And, I mean, mostly in common sense, what we think about crying is the tears that come out of our eyes. That's what crying is. But behind it, the great megasystem is this polyvagal system. And so, not unreasonably, anything that affects the brainstem, the larynx, pharynx, soft palate, the heart and the lungs can affect crying. That's at birth. 
Now, something miraculous happens afterwards called myelination, where the cortex, the higher functions in the first three to six months of the baby's life, make connections to this vagal system, and that's when the fun begins and babies <laughs> learn how to turn on crocodile tears, mm. manipulate the tears. Oh, yeah. And the hard task for all of us parents is then to separate the genuine real McCoy from the crocodile manipulation. And perhaps we'll leave that for another uh, episode because then it gets really interesting throughout life. And indeed, actors play on that basic skill and the great actors can turn it on genuinely in role. Yeah. So it's slightly different it's to nice the installation. So we'll come back to that and how what happens to divers who get in distress? Do they cry underwater or not? Oh, we're going to have to be part of that we conversation, are. Dr. We Shane. Might, well, we just—I mean, it's our hour now, so we can do it. <laughs> uh, Dr. Mills, it's been an absolute pleasure doing the show with you today, and I, I have to say, you know, locking those doors was the best thing <laughs> Bron and I have decided to do in a long time. Bron, <laughs> thanks for coming in and dragging most of your team back in for for another half it's hour. It's been that was an fantastic. absolute pleasure, and as my and yoga I, yeah. as my yoga teacher says, thank. Thank you for sharing your space and your energy <laughs> with us, Dr. Mellis. And I likewise thank you both and to Kent, obviously. And I say it's sharing the space. It's not giving over because oh. I'm not in charge. Oh, <laughs> well, well Mellis, thanks so much. Folks, you've been listening to Radiotherapy. It's actually quite hard for me to say. Um, I think we've been, we've been calling it Marinotherapy a go We have. And now we have to hand over to a far, far more important hour, oh, which is my oh, uh, Einstein at GoGo. Oh, and I'm going to run out of the studio and Kent's going to push a button for me and my long arms will push a button in the other studio to make things work. You're listening to 3 R. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, guys. Now, my brothers and sisters, I want to talk today from the subject, I fell in love with a prostitute.